0: while you're turning in your bibles or while you're looking on your smartphone tablet for our passage today Ephesians chapter 2 let me share with you about a couple of things that are coming up this week Um, if you were on the email this week uh, you you saw a little thing I had written I put on uh, on on my blog and many of you shared it and I appreciate uh, you doing that about how we're going to reach into Chestnut Ridge uh, over the coming days Uh, Chestnut Ridge um Neighborhood just right up Highway 92, three miles from here, um, where we've got a couple of our church members that live in that neighborhood, what took the direct hit from the tornado Monday night, and uh, there are about 20 houses that had um, tremendous uh, devastation, where roofs were removed, parts of the house were completely uh, uh, ripped off. There were other places that was some siding or some shingles, uh, but nothing that would cause you to have to move out of your house for repair. We're, we're going to go in tomorrow and on Wednesday and, and just be there whatever we can do cleaning up insulation cleaning up shingles cleaning up siding so I want to invite you if you're able tomorrow and Wednesday starting about nine o'clock in the morning uh, to to join me out there um, so we can can, we can just be a presence in our community Um, we've got water bottles and snacks Jenny went to one of the the food banks where we do help supply our our food pantry and picked up water bottles and snacks that we're going to have to hand out so maybe you're thinking Kylie you know I want to help but I can't do the physical labor just being a presence there um, what we have found a lot of times in disaster relief is um, if somebody from that home is there a lot of times they just need somebody to talk to uh, to to vent frustration anger relief and and to talk through as they're just processing what happened and, and who better to walk through and process with them than a follower of christ so somebody that can point to to hope and and joy and peace in the midst of turmoil. So let me encourage you to join us over the next couple of days um, as we get out there. I honestly do not know what we're gonna get into. Um, we're not gonna be building and constructing, but you know, wear old clothes that can get dirty. If you've got gloves, bring gloves. If you've got a wheelbarrow and a rake, bring wheelbarrow and a rake because we're gonna just try to help in any way we can being hands and feet in this community. Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna start in verse 11 today, uh, looking at verses 11, 12, and 13. If you found your place and you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read the word of God together, uh, looking to his holy name as we proclaim uh, our faith in Christ together. Here are, here's what we find. I believe the words would be on the screen there for you, but it says this. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you that you're in the business of bringing near. What we separated because of sin, you brought together by the blood of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that at First Baptist Church of Fairburn, we will see this reconciliation that you have brought, that we would see the links that you went to make us part of your family, to bless us with every spiritual blessing, to take us from death to life, that we would be able to rejoice and exult in the name of Jesus, our King, and that we would go from here ready to serve because of you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the power of the gospel. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a philosophy in South Africa called Ubuntu. And this philosophy is is a community statement that basically says, I am what I am because of who we all are. It looks at the communal prosperity of how we pour into one another and how the community helps build together. And and left by itself, the philosophy of Ubuntu could lead to a, I make my own self. I make my own life. I am responsible to myself and to you. But we come to the cross and we come to the gospel and we come to something that reconciles us and we look at it a little differently. We are who we are. I am who I am because of who he is, who who, who he is and who he made me to be. But because of who he is and because of who he made me, he put me in a position where I am responsible to others like me who were in Christ Jesus that together we demonstrate the reconciling power of the gospel. And Paul brings us into this idea as we start looking together in this passage, looking at what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So, so let's kind of walk back through a little bit where we've been. God determined to bless us with every spiritual blessing. Chapter one, verse three. He did so by choosing before the foundation of the world to adopt us because he loved people that he made in his image, he, choosing to adopt us because of Christ Jesus. And so in Christ, we see the forgiveness, the rem- of our sins and to seal it and to let you know that hey this is legit this is what I've done he gave us the Holy Spirit and it wasn't just that he gave us the Holy Spirit because like I've got the Spirit you've got the Spirit we're going to go be spiritual elsewhere it's so that we can come together as a family and see in a family we're responsible to one another and Christ Jesus it says in chapter one is the head of the church he's the one that's kind of in charge he's the one that we should follow by the power of the Holy Spirit together and then last week we, we looked at this picture of death and resurrection and what God did for us in Christ. And we left off with the whole idea that we're saved by grace through faith, not because of us, but because of the gift of God. The, the gift of God in our lives that we were dead, but God made us alive. And Paul fleshes this idea out a little bit more over the next couple of sermons in the Ephesians series. We're going to see what this reconciliation really looked like. Now, now just so you know, we're not going to be in Ephesians next Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter. So let me just take the time right now to ask you to do whatever possible to bring somebody with you next Sunday. I mean, you, there are people that like wait for the MARTA bus over here like every Sunday morning, just pick them up. Say, I'll give you a ride, but we're gonna go to church first. You know, don't, no, don't do that. They, they might call the police on you, but still, uh, uh, whatever we can do to make sure that someone is here with us because I am convinced that Easter is the most important holiday in the church calendar. And I know all you Christmas people are like, no, it's Christmas. No, if Easter doesn't happen, If the resurrection doesn't happen, Jesus is merely another religious teacher who lived, said a few good things, and then died just like Buddha, just like uh, Gandhi, just like Muhammad, just like everybody else. But because of the power of the resurrection, what God demonstrated, remember, that's all Ephesians. He demonstrated his power by raising him and seating him in on high. That's why we celebrate. So make sure that you know people that need to be here to hear about this resurrecting God who brought his son back and will send his son back to rescue us eternally from this world. That's what reconciliation does. But next Sunday, Easter, make sure somebody's here. It's Sunday school. Hey, if you've not been a part of a Sunday school class, come next Sunday. We've got a high attendance goal next Sunday. We're gonna make it a high attendance. I know it's Easter. You're like, oh, but I gotta have my dress and my hat and all these good things. Wear them to Sunday school. You get to show them off twice instead of just once. You know, you get show them off Sunday school and then in the worship service. So, so bring them. Hey, our college class, we set our goal at nine. We had seven this morning. So I've challenged all of our college kids, you know, just grab somebody and bring them. So man, we, we might beat all of y'all, all right? Just, we might. But here we go in the book of Ephesians chapter two and we start looking at what has been broken. It says there in this passage of scripture that at one time we were Gentiles in the flesh, there is a detachment that has taken place. When something is detached, it's taken off. See, we've got a vacuum cleaner. We, we go through a lot of vacuum cleaners in our house. Um, I'm hoping that since we only have one dog instead of twos, the, the, the vacuum will last longer. But when you have a dog that's like a German Shepherd with that big fluffy hair and everything, what, what, what happens to a vacuum cleaner is even if it says it's pet powered or if it says that it's made for pets, that kind of hair just just destroys vacuum cleaners. But we've, our vacuum cleaner now, it's got this really cool thing, you know. It, it's a vacuum cleaner, so it's supposed to, you know, suck up dirt and hair and all this good stuff. Well, you know, it's got a hose that sticks down in the top and you turn this little knob down here and you can pull that hose out and it will detach, but it detaches from itself to make itself work, right? And then it's got this other little cool thing. You can push this other button on the handle And this tube will detach. So you can have like a little smaller thing. See, my vacuum cleaner would not work very well if I took that tube out because that tube is what sticks down into the vacuum cleaner to make the whole thing work, whether you're on the roller brush or you're using the hose. And if I lost that, if I detached that and put it away or one of the kids put it away or a dog used it as a chew toy and it was no longer good, it would be detached and wouldn't work properly. Paul says, you are detached from everything that God created you to be at one time in your life. Whether you grew up in the church, you grew up out of the church. Whether you've been a Christian for 90 years, you've been a Christian for six months, whether you're not a Christian now, you're in a state of detachment. And Paul says in this passage of scripture that at one time we were all detached. He says, remember that at that time you were Gentiles in the flesh. But see, what Paul is going to point us to is how Jesus reconciles this detachment. How Jesus says, no, no, no. I am the peace that is going to fit in into your life to connect you to God. It's reconciling. It's taking two things that are broken and separate and putting them together. When I was a kid, I was in line in the cafeteria in the lunchroom, and my friend Ryan was standing in front of me, and I have a tendency to be a smart aleck without knowing it. And well, sometimes I know I'm being a smart aleck, but a lot of times I don't. So if I say something smart, I'm sorry. Um, and I made a comment to him. And I don't remember what I made. I don't, I don't remember the comment I made. He turned around, he punched me in the stomach. It hurt. I was in fifth grade. I probably weighed all of 84 pounds soaking wet. Ryan weighed about 140. He was a good bit bigger than me. And I kind of ducked like this. And then I came up and swung, man. My sisters were big into the Rocky movies. So I've pictured myself as Rocky Balboa, you know, Italian stallion. And I came up and boom. Well, the thing is, is Ryan had turned around. And I didn't see it because I went down like this. And I came up and I swung and I pulled my hand back and I busted that bone right there. It hurt. The orthopedic surgeon called me Muhammad Ali. Every time I go, hey, how's Muhammad Ali today? See, in in order to fix that bone right there, they had to put a pin in it. See, what happened was that pin served as the reconciler of the break. It wasn't just enough that he could, in his medical knowledge, you can massage it and put it and put it good. He had to insert something else to reconcile what was broken. And Paul says, at one time, all of us were Gentiles in the flesh. We were detached. He's bringing in some ethnic language here that is key to who we are and who we were. We've got to look at. Who we were, he says, you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those who were called the circumcised. He's breaking out a difference between Jews and Gentiles. See, the Jews in that day thought they were better than the Gentiles because they bore a mark of the covenant. The mark of the covenant was the circumcision. We go over to the book of uh, Genesis, chapter seventeen, and God comes to Abraham and says, "You're my people." I'm your God, and so that you can mark all of my people, who your family is, you're going to circumcise all of the males. And this was a flesh thing that took place. And so what happened is the Jews said, well, we bear the mark of God's covenant, so we are better than you. See, racial division has run throughout the history of the world. Because of something that is different on the outside, we elevate and try to say, we're better or you're less than." And it happened with God's you'd never think that happened with God's people. But with God's people, the Jews, they were saying, "Look, we bear the mark of God's covenant. We are a better people. We are a better class than all of you Gentiles. We'll have nothing to do with you." And Paul says, remember, there was a time when you, even the Gentiles that weren't born as ethnic Jews, you in the flesh were still Gentiles. You didn't have the mark of the covenant. But Paul says over the book of Romans that, hey, you know what? God's not really interested if you've got this exterior mark. He wants to know that you have the interior mark because if it's just done in the flesh with human hands and not with the spirit of God, you're still under condemnation. And so Paul pulls that tension into this passage of Ephesians and says, these guys, they're just looking at the exterior and they were making you feel that you were less than because you were different, because you were separate and you had no mark of the covenant. But I want you to look at how stringent our detachment was. This is who we all were. This is who all of us were. And as Paul's writing this, he's saying, even you Jews in the crowd who were merely circumcised but didn't know God personally, you were here too in this detachment because sin knows no ethnic background. Sin knows no economic background. Sin knows no educational background. Sin knows us all. And he says this, remember at the time You were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. And at that time, look with me if you will, verse 12, at that time, you were without Christ. See, in our detachment, we were detached from Christ. We were detached from the Messiah. We were detached from the one that God had promised. We were detached from the only one who was truly able to reconcile everybody. Paul says, Paul says in verse one, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the pattern of the world, according to the rule of the prince of the power of the heir of this current word that is active in the sons and daughters of the t- the disobedience. And we too, all of us, did this by following the lust and the passions of our flesh carrying out the way that the world around us would tell us to walk Paul says this is how I know you were detached because everybody was using themselves as the prop they didn't have this covenantal marker see God wasn't interested just so much in the exterior as he was the interior See, Christ Jesus gives us a new heart, a circumcised heart, takes the heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, one where the Holy Spirit of God can dwell and can, and could, can invade our lives to equip us to work according to his purpose and plan to reach all for the kingdom. Yeah. And, and, and Paul says here, at that time you were without Christ. Maybe that's a hard time for you to remember. A time when you were without Christ. I find as I talk with many people who have, have were saved as children, came to faith in Christ as children and, and really didn't know life outside of the church, thinking in terms of, man, when I was without Jesus, when was I without Christ? It's hard. I, I was, man, I was a church rat. I wouldn't always say, but I was a church rat. And I did the Bible drill and I did the VBS and I did the camp and I did that and I did, man, I was there. Some of you know I don't eat eggs to this day because I was going to be late for church when I was three and I had to finish my eggs and they made me sick and I've never eaten them again. That's a 32-year grudge against eggs I've been holding on to. But I can remember what it was like when I realized, man, I'm without Christ. As a 14-year-old, almost 15, remember, I am without Christ. Christ. It doesn't matter that for the last 21 years of my life, I've had Christ. I still remember what it was like to be without Christ. And Paul says, bring, yourself to the forefront of, bring to the forefront of your mind the fact that one time you were detached from Christ. Not only that, he says, you were also excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were detached from citizenship. This is a hard one for Americans, I believe. See, Americans that grow up in America know all the rights of citizenship of being an American. You get to vote, and you get to have a driver's license, and you get to buy this, and you get to go there, and you get to have whatever. It's even harder, I believe, for white Americans. When we had a conversation with Ernest the other day, our, our, our revival speaker, we were, we were having a conversation with him in our staff meeting and, and we were just talking about just some of the differences and how, how we grow up and how we're perceived. And, and, and church, I'm just gonna let you know one of the things that I said because um, I, I believe y'all have a right to some of that information. But I, I believe that most white people don't realize they're white Be- because we're used to being in the majority. We're, we're used to the way quote-unquote white world works. It's only when we end up maybe riding a, a MARTA bus or a MARTA train or in an area where we're not in the majority that we're aware, wait, I'm, I'm white, and the people around me are not. But for many, from minority backgrounds, that's an everyday experience. What Paul is drawing for us along these lines and along these terms is that all of us were in the minority when it comes to who Christ Jesus called us to be. And he said there that we were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. We're used to being American. We're used to everything happening in the American way. We're used to all the privileges of America, the strongest military in the world, tax systems, schools, government, all these things. And Paul says, you were excluded from the citizenship, the commonwealth of Israel. Your translation, if you have the new American standard or the ESV, I believe maybe the new King James uses the word commonwealth there. That citizenship, that commonwealth identity is that all of us benefit from the good of all of us. It's common wealth. We have it in common. See, if you're in the commonwealth of Israel, biblically speaking, what you have is the promise of God that I'm your God and you're my people. And if you're under that, you've got a line of protection around you. That's what it meant to be a citizen of Israel. So, so let's think with me through the history of Israel, man. It seems like Israel got in trouble a few times, but every time God rescued them, after, after they walked away in sin and God rescued them, he did it at the expense of those who were outside of the citizenship of Israel. Let's go to Egypt just for a second. You remember Egypt? The, 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 the Egyptians had enslaved the Israelites who were living in their land. They were building the pyramids and all these great things and forcing the labor and God rescues them. God comes to them. But when God comes to them and and there's the the Passover and the the slaughter of the firstborn, when the people of Israel leave Egypt, what do they do? They take all of the riches of Egypt with them. They plunder the land. And then what does God do? He drowns Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea in order to allow for them to get to where he was taking them. Fast forward about 1,500 more years and we've got this time where the people of Israel, even though God's prophets and God's God's preachers of the faith were coming to us and saying, God doesn't want you to worship idols. He wants you to worship him. You're worshiping idols. You should probably stop or God's going to punish us. Well, instead of listening to the prophets, instead of listening to those that were proclaiming the word of God, what did they do? They continued to worship. And so God raised up the Babylonians and the Assyrians and they came and they put a hurting on Israel. And they took them off into this exile. But you remember what happened at the end of the exile? King Darius Darius and King Cyrus paid for Jerusalem and the temple to be rebuilt. Let's fast forward a couple of thousand more years. The Germans, you remember remember Hitler? He's the guy with the funny mustache. Slaughtering God's people, the Jews, the people of of the, the, the nation of Israel. The ethnic line of Abraham slaughtering them in mass. 1948, what happens? Israel's reestablished. Who pays for it? Germany. Germany paid for it. Those are some of just the benefits of having that citizenship of Israel. And Paul says, you know what? Spiritually, you didn't have any of that. You were outside of the citizenship. You didn't have the protection. You didn't have the promise. And he says, not only that, you were also excluded from the, uh, you were foreigners to the covenants of promise. We were detached from the covenants. The, the covenants. These promises that God had made throughout the history. See, Jesus, if you'll remember um, from John four, a couple of weeks ago, we were in John four for uh, the woman of the well. And, and, and Jesus even tells the woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. Paul says over in Romans chapter one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God to salvation. First the Jew, then the Gentile. Why? Because Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was promised to the Jews. God's Messiah was promised for all time, starting with the fall in the book of Genesis in chapter three, where he says, I'm going to send the one that's going to crush this serpent. But he made the covenant to Abraham. You're going to be blessing all nations through your line. He came to David. One of yours will always be on the throne. And we find that David is the grandfather by many generations on both sides of Jesus's line. Because God is faithful to fulfill his promise. So we were without Christ. We were without this identity as being God's people. And we didn't even know the promise of God. We were detached from his covenant. His covenant that he would never leave, never forsake. That he would always be their God. And ultimately what that does is that puts us in a place where we're detached from hope. Notice with me what Paul says. He follows it up. You were without, you were excluded from citizenship citizenship, foreigners to the covenants of promise, and without hope. Completely hopeless. Can I submit to you this morning that the pattern of the world around us operates without hope? Without hope. The reason that it operates without hope is because no one wants accountability. In order to have hope, there must be one in whom you are hopeful. And in order to be hopeful, there is a responsibility to that one who provides hope. Maybe you're familiar with the 90s sitcom Seinfeld. Completely swept the nation. It was one of the most popular shows, but it was a show based on a philosophy called annihilationism, which is basically this. This life is all there is. There's nothing beyond this life. Maybe you're familiar with another show that was running in the 90s, Martin, starring Martin Lawrence. Basically the same premise. There's no salvation. There's no hope. There's no redemption. It's all what contains in this life, and that is it. So ultimately, the decisions you make don't matter. They might affect somebody today, might not. But ultimately they have no bearing on eternity. They have no bearing on anything because this life is all there is. That's why one of the most popular selling books in the last 10 years in the Christian world has been your best life now. I want to live a good life. I, I do. But I don't want my best life to be now. Because I've seen this world. I've seen corners of this world. I've seen the darkness in this world. I've also seen light shining into that darkness through the church, through the power of Christ Jesus. So I know that there's truly hope. I know that there's something more. I know that this life is not all that there is to offer, that there's something greater. And Paul says, when you're without Christ, when you're, without, uh, with, when you're detached from this citizenship and the covenants, you don't have hope because you don't know that the true God is out there offering you something more beautiful. And... That's where he says, not only were you detached from hope, but you were detached from God. You see how this plays out? If you're without God, you're not going to have hope. If you're without God, you're not going to have an identity as a citizen. If you're without God, you're not going to understand that he is a God of promise. See, this worldview that Paul is debunking here is not an atheistic worldview. It is a very theistic worldview. It's one that looks to everything else to be God. See, there's no such thing as a true atheist. It takes as much faith to believe that there is no God as it does to believe that there is a God. I would actually argue that it takes more faith to believe that there's no God. I would argue that it takes a whole lot more faith to believe that all of this just simultaneously, spontaneously, out of nowhere happened and that we're just nice, good people than it does believe that there is a God who sovereignly governs over all that he made and sent a Messiah, a Savior into the world to rescue and to redeem us from all that this life is. You say, man, that's a huge statement of faith. It's no more a statement of faith than saying that this stage is going to hold me up. It's where we rest. But Paul says there was a time when we were without God in this world. The issue that comes up so many times is even if we are in Christ, a lot of times we still live as though we are without God in this world. One of the greatest detriments to the argument that we provide in our faith in Christ is that we come to church and we get hyped up, man. We're singing Hosanna and hallelujah. Man, you had your hands up, right? You had your, you we're in the Jesus movement. Yeah, go Jesus, go Jesus. And then tomorrow hits and who's God? See, we've got to reevaluate where we are and to what we're attached because we all place our hope in something. For some of us, it's friends. For some of us, it's substance. For some of us, it's clothing. For some of it's money. For some of it's family. We all make these other gods. So Paul's not saying you don't have a God. He's saying you're without the true God. You are living not atheistically, but you are living cross-theistically where you are going to another deity in order to satiate all that your life is drawing up and all you are desiring. Paul says that was all of us. That was all of us. But remember, Jesus reconciled this. Jesus did something different. Jesus says, I know you're without me. I know you're without hope. I know you don't know the true God. That's why God sent him into the world that you and I could say, no, 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 life is different. Life is more. Why? Because reconciliation is our way of return. Reconciliation is our way of return. See, you think, man, where am I return- to where am I returning? to the hands of God to the purpose that God had in creating us in his image every man every woman every boy every girl for all time created in his image but it was lost when Adam and Eve fell in the garden When Adam ate of the apple and introduced sin into the world by not obeying the command that God gave, what happened was the system of lies and death and destruction and sin and separation, the break. But Jesus reconciles to draw us back. Look what he says there in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... This is the second time in two weeks that Paul has painted a pretty bleak picture, but then introduced this ginormous butt into into the the mix there and says, um, here we go, you were this way, but God did something different. But God interjected himself, but God changed it, but God intervened in a way that only he could in Christ Jesus. Jesus. There's a TV show that airs on NBC right now called This Is Us. And one of the fascinating things about This Is I'm just gonna let you know, I've never watched an episode of This Is Us. I've read about This Is Us and I've watched a clip or two from This Is Us, but here's the thing that has everyone fascinated with the show, This Is Us. It tells a story. It follows the lives of, of, of a couple who, who were a young married couple in the early 80s and now it catches them when they were uh, parents and what the you know, parents go through with their kids and now what their lives are like as they are grandparents and looking at the lives of their children. It's telling the story of a family. And the reason we're drawn to these is because we love stories. We, we, we love stories. We love, our kids love it for every night. Can you read me a story? Can you read me a story? They want us to read a book to them read them a story. We want to watch movies that tell a story. We want to watch documentaries that tell a story. We want to walk away with some sort of story in our life. And Paul has just told us the story of all of us. That was us. But if you're in Christ Jesus, this is truly us. Look at what he says. In Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near. We are no longer detached. We are no longer separate. We are no longer broken away. We are no longer, if you were in Christ Jesus this morning, you have been reattached to your purpose, to your destiny, to what God created you to be. And you didn't get there on your own. It says, in Christ Jesus. We're not detached. We're not detached from God. We have this unifying relationship with Him. Why? Because Christ Jesus reconciled us. How? It says we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are no longer detached because his blood brought you near. Remember that pen I was telling you about I had to put here in my in my hand? The problem with that pin was it was a foreign substance that was not designed to remain in my hand forever. It had to come out. My favorite baseball player when I was growing up was a guy named King Griffey Jr. Now I'll never forget 1997. King Griffey Jr. running back to the to the center field wall to make a catch, and he jumps and he crashes in and he breaks his wrist in two places right here. Now, King Griffey Jr. was on track to probably break Hank Aaron's record and a few other home run records, but something changed when he broke that because they had to put a seven inch plate with nine metal screws into his wrist to reconcile that break. But you know what King Griffey Jr. did? That year, the Seattle Mariners were actually good that year. Um, It didn't happen again for a number of years, kind of like the Braves are kind of down right now, but um, they, they were really good. They made the playoffs. King Griffey Jr. set the record that year for the most home runs hit in the postseason. You know why? Because someone who knew what they were doing took something and inserted into his wrist to reconcile the break. Griffey didn't have a Mr. Miyagi that could cry to kid fans know what I'm talking about and fix that break. Uh, If you grew up in the eighties, you know what I just did. or, Or, or he didn't have some sort of magic spell he could cast on himself He had to have one from the outside come and do something on the inside that would fix what was broken. You and I had to have someone from the outside come and fix on the inside something that was broken. Someone apart from us, someone separate from us, someone different from us to reach over here and to pull us and to draw us and to grasp us and to fix us in a way that only the transforming power of the blood of Christ Jesus could do. For we don't like to look at ourselves this way but the language that Paul uses here is is not really pretty even in the reconciliation notice he says there you who were far off you who were far off in the first century mind one that is far off is someone who is an enemy someone who has willingly turned and raised up in their heart and in their mind a hardness against. Makes me think of the prodigal son over in Luke chapter 15. Some of you remember the story of the prodigal son. Rich man had two kids and the younger of the two came to daddy and said, you know what, I'm tired of you being my dad. I want what's mine and I'm gonna go live my life how I want to. So the father gave him his half of the inheritance. What would have normally been his once the father passed away. Jesus tells a story and says that the son went and he lived in the city with riotous living. And he, he went to Vegas and thought it would stay in Vegas. He, he went and he was high rolling. He, he was pouring the drinks. He, w- he was furnishing the debauchery. He was doing everything, but it said that the money dried up and he was left and all of his friends left him. That's what the world does. It uses you until it can get no more out of you then it leaves you. It leaves you. And it says that he went and he was slopping the pigs. And not only was he slopping the pigs, he was eat, fighting the pigs to eat the slop that the pigs were trying to eat. He says, one day he came to a census and says, you know what? Even the lowest servants in dad's house have it better than this. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go back to my dad and and I'm gonna tell him, you know, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me the lowest of the slaves and just put a roof over my head. Just let me be here and I'll be a servant. You don't even have to call me son. And so he starts and he's walking down the road and he's headed back to his father. And it says that the father saw his son when he was far off and ran to him. Didn't stand there and go, (laughs) yeah, money didn't last, did it? That woman that said she was going to love you forever. She used you for what she could and she's gone, right? Those buddies that you had, yeah, they're gone, right? Should have stayed here with dad. No, no. In compassion, he pulled his robe and he took off running. Men didn't run in that day. Men who were offended didn't run to the offender. They stood in indignation and waited. And Jesus said, that father ran to that son and said, you were far off, but I'm walking you and ushering you back and I'm going to throw the banquet feast for you. You were far off. In your trespasses and sin, and when the blood of Christ came in, God ran to you in the best way possible by sending Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to your heart to draw you, to bring you near because of his blood. So my question is, are you still far off? Are you still far off? Are you living as an enemy of God? Are you walking and saying, yeah, that's Jesus and that's cool, whatever. Are you far off? when he's offering to bring you near.